Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. We are beginning a new Sunday morning series, and it's going through the book of 1 Peter. The title of the series is Behind Enemy Lines. The first message in that series is Salvation Appreciation. Please enjoy. Right, if you have your places in First Peter, we're going to read 12 verses. I'm going to ask you to please stand and respect and reverence the Word of God. We're going to read 12 verses and we'll sit back down. The Bible says in First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ." whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testifieth beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all you've done for us today. And once again, I pray that you clear our minds and clear our hearts. And like the brother said, help us to receive the word of God on fertile soil. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us with your word this morning. For I this in Jesus Christ's precious name, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. In 1995, NATO caved to popular pressure and got involved in the Bosnian-Serb War. And the point of it was, is the Bosnians, they were bombing their own people. And so the NATO had stepped in and said, okay, you can't do this. You can't bomb your own people. So they started an operation, and the operation was called Operation Deny Flight. And in this operation, two F-16s would patrol the Bosnian airways to make sure that the Bosnians didn't bomb their own people. Well, on this particular day, it was June 2nd of 1995, two F-16s were patrolling the Bosnian air, 
and uh, they were piloted by two pilots named Bob Wright and Scott O'Grady. Uh, what the Bosnians would do is they were on the ground and they had missile launchers and they would try to shoot these F-16s out of the sky and they would wait until the F-16s got right above them before they turned the, ra the radar on, giving the pilots little time to react. They did this trick once again. They waited till the F-16s were right above them before they turned the radars on and shot off the missiles. Usually the F-16s could dodge the missiles, but on this day it was overcast and the pilots could not see where the missiles were coming from. One, one missile exploded right in the middle of the F-16s and the other hit the plane of Scott O'Grady. Captain Bob Wright looked over and he saw the missile hit O'Grady's plane. He saw it burst into flames. He saw it go down and crash in a fiery crash. And he never saw O'Grady's chute deploy. He radioed back to, to home base that O'Grady had died in service. However, O'Grady's chute did deploy. It did deploy and he did survive the crash and once he got on the ground he hit his parachute and uh, he put dirt and mud all over himself and got face down in the mud because he knew that the Bosnians were going to come check out the crash site and sure enough they did. When they got there, they couldn't find the pilot and they took machine guns and they shot up the mud all around the crash site trying to, uh, to, to flush out the pilot but they never hit O'Grady. O'Grady survived. They didn't find him. For the next six days, O'Grady lived on bugs, leaves, grass, and rainwater. He had one radio that had limited battery power, and the enemy was listening. He was trained to give intermittent beeps to, to, to signal America that he was still out there. It took six days, but at the beginning of the sixth day, we finally picked up on these intermittent beeps. And we knew that O'Grady was alive. But it doesn't stop for O'Grady. It just gets worse. Because there was a general at a dinner party in America that let it slip to the press that O'Grady was alive. So now the Americans are in a race. Now they're trying to get to O'Grady. Now the Bosnians know that he's alive. They're trying to get to O'Grady before the Bosnians do. So they load up two CH-53 Sea Stallion uh, helicopters with 51 Marines between the two of them. And they took off towards the radio signal where they traced O'Grady to. When O'Grady heard the choppers coming, he knew they were American by the sound. He took his flare. He set off the flare. The helicopters landed on the ground. They're on the ground seven minutes and they had O'Grady in the choppers. Then they started heading back to base. All this time, these helicopters are loud. The Bosnians know they're there. They're shooting missiles at them left and right. But these helicopters are 150 feet off the ground going 175 miles an hour. They're pretty hard to hit with a missile at that range, at that speed. But they're not hard to hit with bullets. The, the fuselages of the helicopters were just pelted with bullet holes all over both the helicopters. And in fact, one master, one master sergeant even got shot in the chest, but he survived because of his body armor. 30 minutes after they picked O'Grady up, they radioed back to home base, feet wet. What that meant was the, that they were over the ocean and O'Grady was safe. 
They took this real life story and they turned it into a Hollywood movie starring Gene Hackman and Owen Wilson. And the name of the movie is Behind Enemy Lines. They do take a little little uh, license with the story, but that's, this is the story that that movie was based off of. 1 Peter 1.1 tells you everything you need to know about this entire book. Everything you need to know in 1 Peter 1.1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You see, the church in Jerusalem has come under heavy persecution, and, and they were scattered. They're scattered all over the place in these cities that are mentioned here. They're Roman provinces. And all these Christians, they, and it, it, it backfired on the church of Jerusalem because they, they, uh, they persecuted the church, and because of that, the church grew. Because these Christians went out and started churches and started telling people about the gospel. And then the church began to grow all over the place. It took off like wildfire. But the problem is, is that at this time Peter's writing this, the Caesar over Rome is a very, very cruel Caesar to Christians. We know him very well. We talked about him before. He was Nero. The Caesar Nero was over Rome at the time, and he was particularly cruel to Christians to the point at some point during Nero's reign, he would take Christians, impale them from top to bottom, and then light them on fire and use them in torches to light his garden at night while he strolled his garden. That's how cruel this man was to Christians. Now, Peter's looking around, and Peter notices that Nero's persecution is ramping up. In fact, in 1 Peter 5.13, he calls Rome, he calls Babylon. Because just like Babylon, Rome has wholly given themselves over to idolatry. So he wants to prepare these Christians. He wants to prepare these Christians for the onslaught that's coming. The Christians that Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter to are the same Christians who will one day light Nero's garden at night. Same Christians. Now... When I talk about persecution today, I always have to put a little, I always have to put this disclaimer in here. When we compare the persecution we face to the persecution those Christians back there face, there is no comparison. We don't know what real persecution is. They do. That being said, I always have to say that. That being said, that doesn't mean we can't face any perse persecution in any form. We do face persecution in some form. Maybe not to the degree they did, but we do face persecution in some form. We are in a mess today. Don't you understand that there are people running for president of the United States of America today that want to close down preachers, uh, want to close down churches, and throw preachers in jail for preaching what this book says. The very thing, the very reason why our forefathers created this nation to get away from religious persecution is knocking on our door. They want to shut our church down. They want to throw me in jail for preaching this Bible. That's, that's the state in which we live in today. You know what? Inspired by the Holy Ghost, Peter gives us a warning. 
Just like Peter told those Christians in Rome so long ago, through the pages of Scripture, through the corridors of time, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter warns me and you today as well. He warns us today as well because just like he's telling us and just like he told them back then, we are behind enemy lines. Now this is the name of a new Sunday morning series we're starting We're starting a series called Behind Enemy Lines. And we're going to be going through the book of 1 Peter from the first verse all the way to the last. We're going to be talking about being behind enemy lines. So Peter starts his debriefing. He starts his debriefing. And what's the first tip that Peter gives these scattered Christians? You know, anytime somebody gives you a survival guide, usually tip number one is the most important. Usually tip number one is the most vital. Usually tip number one is the most useful. So what is the first tip that Peter gives me and you and the survival guide to survive the times that we're in? What's the first tip? What's survival tip number one from Peter? Here it is, and it's the title of my message this morning. Survival tip number one, salvation appreciation. Salvation appreciation. Peter is going to tell us in the first part of chapter one, he's going to tell us why an appreciation for our salvation is so important. He's going to tell us why an appreciation for our salvation is so vital and how it's going to help us in our trials Christian, let me tell you something. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through tests. You're going to go through temptations. And listen, if you don't have a proper attitude towards your salvation, you are going to fail test after test after test. How do you have joy when you get bad news from the doctor? I'm about to tell you. How, 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 how do you, uh, how, how can you be happy when people are lying behind your back about you? I'm about to tell you. How in the world can you have a smile on your face when the bank account is empty and the debt collectors are blowing up your phone and knocking on the doors and you've got no, you don't know how you're going to put supper on the table. How in the world can you be happy in that situation? It all has to do with how you view your salvation. So Peter comes to us today in salvation appreciation, and he's going to tell us four things this morning. Four things. Don't forget. Don't forget these four things. These four things are going to help you through your trials. These four things are going to help you through your temptations. This is going to help you survive behind enemy lines. Don't forget these four things this morning. Number one, never forget God's role in your salvation. Never forget God's role in your salvation. Let's read verse number two again. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be be multiplied. Now Peter not only wants to show me and you the role of God in our salvation, he wants to show us the role of the Trinity in our salvation. You understand that it ain't just that it's not just Jesus that had a role in our salvation. Did you know each person of the Trinity has a role in our salvation? And Peter lines out in this verse here, he lines out each person of the Trinity's role in our salvation. 
Let's take a look at, first of all, let's look at God the Father's role. It says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, we discussed election two weeks ago. I promise you this isn't going to be Calvinism part two. I promise you. I make that promise to you. Now, we discussed it the other week. But there is one thing that us and Calvinists can't agree on. We can't agree on that the word elect, among other things, it means to be chosen. It means undeserving. And it means unmerited. Foreknowledge, of course, is the method through which he chose us. Foreknowledge is the Greek word prognosis, meaning to look into the future. That's how he chose us because he knew we would choose him. Some of you are already having flashbacks. He's talking about Calvinism again. But, uh, but, but listen, through God's omniscience, he chose you. That foreknowledge. It's the Father's doing. Now, hold on a second. Think about what that means. About the fact that God chose you. God chose me and you knowing we were going to break his heart over and over and over again. God chose us knowing that we're going to mess up, pray and ask God's forgiveness, and then the next day we're going to do the same thing. And then that day we're going to mess up and pray and ask for God's forgiveness, and then the next day we're going to do the same thing. And over and over and over, we break our promises to God. And over and over, we tell God, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm not going to do this thing. And an hour later, we do the thing. That's, that's, that's who he chose. I don't know about you, but I do that all the time. I break my promises to God because I'm a sinner and that's just how I am. And I try not to be, but bless God, I have a sin nature. And we are going to sin and we're going to mess up. And God knows that he chose a people when he chose me and he chose you. He chose somebody that's going to break his heart over and over and over again. But he loved us so much that that didn't matter. Imagine if you would a, a mom and dad who's looking to adopt a child. They go to an adoption agency and they look at this little boy that's, that's about six, seven years old who's, who needs a family. And the six, seven-year-old boy say he's a problem child. And he keeps messing up and he, he throws things at, at adults and he talks back to his teachers and he stomps around because he's spoiled. And man, it, it would take a lot for this couple to adopt this little boy seeing he's a problem child but guess what me and you were problem children God was looking through the two-way the one-way mirror and he saw everything that we were going to do he saw all the times that we talked back and all the times we're going to break our promises and all the times that we're going to break his heart and go back on our word and God the father said I love you so much I'm going to choose you anyway that's what that means foreknowledge he chose us second i want you to see the role of the holy spirit it says through sanctification of the spirit now this means that the holy spirit sanctified us the holy spirit set us apart he declared us holy that means the holy spirit made us different when we got saved the holy spirit changed us and the holy spirit made us different 
Let me throw some scripture at you this morning. Uh, the Bible says in John 14, 25 and 26, These things have I spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said unto you. John 14, 25 and 26. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. Man, the Holy Spirit, when I got saved, the Holy Spirit's my helper. The Holy Spirit's my teacher. The Holy Spirit's my reminder. Man, if I was walking around all day and I, I had a guy walking on this side of me, that his job was only to help me in everything I do at work, at the grocery store, around the house. And his job was just to help me do the things that I need to do. And that's what he did all day was help me, man. I'd love that. And man, if I had another guy over here on my left and he was a teacher and anytime I come up on something that I didn't know, that guy would stand here and he'd be, he'd, oh, you don't know how to do that here. Let me teach you how to do that. Let me show you how to do that. I'd love that. And then if there's another guy walking behind me, that, that there's a reminder that every time I need to be reminded of something, I guess it's called Siri, but uh, you know, every time I need to be reminded of something, he whispers in my ear, hey, don't forget about this. It's important. Don't forget about that. Man, if I had those three fellas follow me around all day, I'll tell you what, I definitely, I'd be a different Brett Martin. And when I got saved, I got all of that and more in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sets us apart. The Holy Spirit makes us different. Acts 1.8 But ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now the Holy Spirit's given me power. Now I, now I don't, uh, the power, I was powerless before. And when I talked to somebody, maybe talk to somebody about the gospel, I had to do it by myself. But now I'm saved. I've got the Holy Spirit. I don't have to do it by myself. The Holy Spirit gives me power. The Holy Spirit gives me life. The Holy Spirit gives me revitalization. So now I'm different. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not the things you wish. So now not only am I different in all these other ways, now how I'm different is now I don't have to walk in the lust of the flesh anymore. Man, when I was lost, all I was doing was walking in the flesh. Even when I did something good, there was a fleshly motive behind it. But now that I'm saved and now that I've got the Holy Spirit, now I don't have to walk in the flesh anymore. Now I have another option. Now I can walk in the Spirit of God and be a different person because he sanctified me. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Here is a whole laundry list of things that is inside of me because I'm saved and I have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has given me all these things. Don't ever forget the Holy Spirit's role in your salvation. Number three, this morning... I want you to see the third role is of God the Son. It says, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me read for you. Hebrews 9, 12 and 14. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. 
For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You can't have salvation without the crimson flow this morning. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let me tell you something. If in the Old Testament, the blood of a bull and the blood of a goat could cover my sins and atone my sins for a short time, how much more can the precious blood of Jesus completely take away my sin? Peter's saying, don't forget about the blood. Don't underestimate the blood. Don't, Don't neglect the blood of Christ. There are three times in the Old Testament that human beings were sprinkled with blood. One time was at the making of the Sinai covenant. Humans were sprinkled with blood. Number two was at the ordination of Aaron and his sons as priests. And number three was uh, in the purification ceremony of a leper. Those three times in the Old Testament, somebody was sprinkled with blood. Don't you understand when you got saved, when Jesus came in your heart and you got your salvation, all three things happened to you. A covenant was made with God. And guess what? God keeps his covenants. Number two, you were ordained as a priest. You don't have to go to a priest to go to God. Bless God, you're saved. You are a priest. You were ordained as a priest. And number three, the purification ceremony. You're purified from your corruption. You're purified from your sin. And even though that doesn't mean you won't ever sin, what that does mean is that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you today, Don't you understand that God gave us two ordinances to follow? Both those ordinances represent the blood of Christ. When you sit in here on the fifth Sunday, uh, every fifth Sunday, and take part of the Lord's Supper, and you take that little cup of juice, that little cup of fruit of the vine, grape juice, understand that, that, that juice, it represents the blood of Christ. When you're in that baptistry and you're baptized, aren't you, yes, it does represent God, Jesus being buried and rising up out of the grave, but it also represents your sins being washed away by the blood of Christ at the moment of your salvation. If you're going to survive behind the enemy lines of this world, you must rely on the blood of Christ. You must count on the blood of Christ. You must fall in love with the blood of Christ. So the first thing Peter tells us today, don't forget the role of the Trinity. Don't forget the role, not just of one person in the Trinity. Don't forget the role of each person in the Trinity when it comes to your salvation. Number two this morning. Number one, remember God's role in your salvation. Number two, rejoice in your salvation. Verse number three. Blessed be the God, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I would look back at that first statement. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When, when Peter thinks about his salvation, his immediate response is to praise God. When he thinks about his salvation, his knee-jerk reaction is to praise him. 
I want to show you this morning that Peter in these verses, he, he praises God for salvation past. He praises God for salvation future and he praises God for the salvation in our present. I'm going to I'm going to show you that real quick. Uh, uh, the, what, what, first, let's look at the past, how we can be thankful of salvation in our past. The things, the things that I'm about to give you, if you're saved today, if you're born again today, these things are things that God did for you or God gave you in the past. Number one, because of his abundant mercy. I want you to understand that, that the, motive, the motive for God's work isn't found in us, it's found in him. And that motive is God's mercy. So what does mercy mean? Mercy means I deserved punishment. I deserved punishment, but he showed compassion and he showed forgiveness and that's mercy. You can't think about the mercy of God without thinking about what me and you actually deserve. Aren't you glad this morning me and you didn't get what we actually deserve? If me and you bless God, if me and you got what we actually deserve, man, I know I wouldn't be here right now. I don't know about you. So don't forget, no matter how bad it gets for you, you deserve a lot worse. Me and you deserve a lot worse than what we get. Psalms 13, 5. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. And then it says, number two, hath begotten us. And that, that basically means to be born again. We've already talked about how the Holy Spirit changes you. You actually, when you're born again, you actually become a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I love Southern gospel music. I have a Southern gospel station on my Pandora. I was up here listening to it on the church speakers last night, getting things ready for this morning. I love Southern gospel and Gold City, Greater Vision, Inspirations. I love the cathedrals. There's one particular cathedral song that I like. It's called Thanks to Calvary. I love that song. And I love that when the bass, I think his name is George Yance, when, when, he, when he says this one verse, I love it. He says, then we went back to the house where we used to live. My little boy ran and hid behind the door. And I said, son, oh, little boy, don't be afraid because you've got a brand new daddy now because thanks to Calvary, we don't live here anymore. Thanks to Calvary, I'm not the dad I used to be. Thanks to Calvary, things are different than before. Bless God, thanks to Calvary and thanks to our salvation, born again means brand new. And number three, it says, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus being the hope of our salvation. It mentions it many times, but in this particular passage, Peter changes the language a little bit, and he says we have a lively hope. Why do we have a lively hope? Because Peter saw him alive. He knows firsthand that we have a Savior that can conquer death because he saw the resurrected Savior. Luke 24, 34, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared unto Simon. When I was 15 years old, my stepdad was, we was driving down on Psychic Progress Road. I was about 15. And he said, Brett, you see that, uh, you see that? And we was a stepdad at my time. He was dating my mom. And he said, you see that, uh, that driveway there? And I was like, yeah. Like tomorrow morning, I want you to drive the tractor down the road to this driveway, go down that, that road, and there's a field back there, dead ends into, 
take the tractor, we're going to bush hog it tomorrow, but I got to do something in the morning, so you drive there with the tractor, and I'll be there in a minute. I said, okay. So the next morning, I wake up, and I get on the tractor, and I putt-putt down the road, and I go down the little dirt road, and I go to this field, and I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting, and unbeknownst to me, I went to the wrong field. So I'll wait there for an hour or two hours. I get there about 9 o'clock. It's 11 o'clock, and I, Mr. Obi still hasn't showed up yet, and I'm like, what in the world's going on? So I decide, you know what? I'm just going to close my eyes a little bit. So I sit back on the tractor, and I fall asleep, and I sleep until 2 o'clock. I sleep from 11 to 2. So I wake up at 2 o'clock and say, man, this is taking forever. I guess I better go on back to the house. And so I, I drive back to the house, and unbeknownst to me, Mr. Hobie thought I was dead. He thought I had done got kidnapped. He thought I'd undrove into a, tr uh, a creek, and I'm, I'm dead. And he's not even married my mom yet, and he's, and he's done killed her son. And he is just free. He, he called the police. The police are out looking for me. And when I got off that tractor and walked up to that house, you could just see the relief wash over his face because he knew I was alive. That's the relief we can have knowing Jesus is alive. Second, let's look at salvation's future. Verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. You know, heaven is our inheritance. But I want you to see that Peter isn't going to tell us what heaven is. Peter's going to tell it because that'd be impossible. Peter's going to tell us what heaven isn't. And once the first thing he says, it is incorruptible. And that means it is indestructible. The only inheritance, and y'all know this because I say this all the time, the only inheritance I've gotten so far is my Pawpaw shotgun. I love this Browning 12-gauge automatic shotgun that my Pawpaw gave me when he died, and I love it. I take good care of it, and it's the only inheritance I've gotten so far, and, and man, I'm taking care of it. Hopefully, I'm hoping one day to be able to pass it down to my kids, pass it down to Colin and Caleb, and you know, I'm looking forward to that, but let me tell you something about that shotgun that I love so much. One day, that shotgun is going to fall apart. It's going to fall apart one day. That's what happens when you invest in the world. That's what happens when you invest in money and you invest in what this world can give you instead of investing in heaven. You're investing in something that's going to fall apart. When you invest in heaven, your investment is indestructible. Next thing I want you to see is that it's undefiled. Let me tell you another quick story. We got a little puppy named Titus and... Uh, so Emily was over here at a ladies' meeting, and I'm making the boys chicken nuggets, mac and cheese for supper. And, you know, when Emily's not there, we go and sit in the living room and watch TV. And so, we, you know, we go in there, and uh, we sit on the uh, – Caleb sat on the floor, and little Titus came up and grabbed two of the chicken nuggets. And then Caleb jumped in there on top of that dog and started fighting that dog for them chicken nuggets. I mean, I thought I saw a, a Randy Savage elbow come in there. And, and so, you know, he's, he's fighting. He wrestles them chicken nuggets back from that dog and was about to put them on the plate. I was like, no, stop. Don't do it. Three-second rule is one thing. But once it's been in that dog's mouth, it now belongs to that dog. Because a dog's mouth is particularly nasty. And so I was like, I'm sorry, Caleb, you might as well give them nuggets back to that dog. He got them. 
well, he started welling up with tears, and I went in the freezer, and I, we had a few more chicken nuggets, and I cooked him some more, so he was okay, but uh, there wasn't, they, they, he couldn't eat them chicken nuggets. They have been defiled. One day we will be in a heaven that's never been touched by sin. One day sin, it's hard to think about that one day sin is going to be so foreign to us. And all the struggles that we face against our sin today, they're just going to fade away. Fade completely away. I long for the day when I don't have to struggle against my sin anymore. And then number three, he said that fadeth not away. Flowers, beautiful. I love flowers. These flowers are planted out here. I love flowers. But here's the thing. A flower, given enough time, it will fade and it will wither away. You ever, you ever, you ever get a song, you either buy it on your phone or you buy it on a CD, and it's, it's, a, it's one of your favorite songs, and you listen to it over and over and over and over and over again, but eventually you'll get to the point where, you know, I probably need to stop listening to this song because if I keep listening to it, I'm going to get sick of it. And it's not going to be my favorite song anymore. I do that all. I've got a bad habit of ruining my favorite songs because I listen to them too much. Heaven's not like that. Heaven is something. Heaven is a place that you'll never, you'll never get sick of because there's beauty will never fade. And third, I want you to look at salvation's present. The Bible says, who were kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are kept two ways. Number one, we're kept for eternity. John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Once we are his sheep, we are always his sheep. We can't lose our salvation once we get it. He won't let us. And then next we are kept from danger. Kept keeping is another word for guarding. There's the reason you don't keep something unless there's danger on the outside and weakness on the inside. That danger on the outside is wolves and that's Satan and that's the world. But on the inside is we're weak. That's why we need a shepherd. A shepherd who loves the sheep very much, a shepherd might go over and break the sheep's leg. Now, the sheep doesn't understand why the shepherd caused it pain, but the shepherd knows that the point is to keep the sheep from wandering off and getting into trouble. There's danger on the outside because of the world, because of Satan. There's weakness on the inside because my flesh is weak. That's why I need a shepherd. And that's what my salvation does for me. My salvation gives me a shepherd. Number three this morning, the main point, number three, salvation and trouble. Salvation and trouble. Verse number six, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. You're going to have trouble in your life, much trouble. All of this trouble will come to you in the form of a temptation. Like I say, Brother Brett, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand that. I mean, I understand, Brother Brad, I understand the, the temptation of drunkenness and I understand the temptation of lust and I understand the temptation of pride, but how can me having cancer be a temptation? How can me being in a car wreck be a temptation? You know, uh, how can me losing my job be a temptation? 
Well, the temptation is whether you remain faithful to Christ or whether you'll turn your back on him. You see, when, when trouble happens to you, even though it might not be God's intention, all trouble is a test. My preacher growing up, Brother Walker, he used to tell this story. He'd tell these two stories together. He said, he'd get up and tell us, you know, one Sunday night when my children were young, I was preaching at one of my first churches. I got done preaching that Sunday night, and he'd say, we, me and my family drove back home, and when we got home, there were fire trucks all around, and our house was burned to the ground. During that fire, they lost every earthly possession they had. I mean, all the heirlooms, all the stuff that grandma and grandpa had passed down, all the old pictures of their old family members, all of that was gone. They had lost every single thing in their, in, in their life. My preacher looked at us and he said, in that moment, I never questioned God. I remained faithful to him. I didn't question him not once during that. And then he'd immediately say, a couple years later, Miss Sandy, that was his wife, was on visitation with the church with another lady in the church. And they went around the corner and a drunk driver slammed into them. The lady Miss Sandy was driving with was instantly killed. Miss Sandy had massive head trauma. They went to the doctor and they looked at, at, they looked at uh, my preacher and they said, Mr. Walker, your wife might not survive today. And if she does survive, she might be a vegetable. My preacher said he walked out of that doctor's office into the hallway. He took his fist. He slammed his fist as hard as he could into a cinder block wall and cried out for all to hear, Why, God, why are you doing this? And my preacher said in that moment he turned his back on God. He failed that test. Now, Miss Sandy recovered. A miraculous recovery. She did live with debilitating headaches for the rest of her life, but that's far better than what the doctor said. But my preacher says, I always look back at that moment. I always look back at that trial. And I, I turn my back on him. In that moment, he said, I turn my back on Christ. Verse 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why it's so important to remain faithful in a test. You know what gold will do? When gold is purified and it's sent through fire, all the impurities are burned away and all you're left with is just pure gold. And when you go through that test and you go through that trial, if you you remain faithful then you can stand at the end you can stand in front of Jesus Christ in front of his judgment and you can have that gold and you can lay it at his feet and say I did this for you I remain faithful to you for you but if you don't remain faithful that hay and that stubble it's going to burn up and all, all you're going to have to offer him is ashes See, that's why remaining faithful during a test is so incredibly important. Verse 8 and 9, Whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Let me tell you something. Heaven Man, heaven's going to be a wonderful place. We all, we all know when we get to heaven who we're going to see first. 
I mean, I know we're going to see Jesus. That's the first person I want to see is Jesus Christ. But after I see Jesus, I want to go see my Papa Sterling. I want to go see him up there. I know he's up there. I heard him tell a preacher, preacher, I got Jesus in my heart. I know my Papa's up there. I want to see him. Heaven is a wonderful place. But you know, there's something. I don't have to wait to get to heaven to enjoy the glory of heaven. I can enjoy a piece of heaven today. I can have that joy unspeakable Today, I can receive the end of my faith today because that's what meditating on your salvation will do for you. Meditating on your salvation will bring a little piece of that glory you're going to get at the end. Meditating on your salvation will bring that glory to you to the present. Let me tell you something. If you feel weak and if you feel like you're going to fail, then you pull out this Bible and you open up 1 Peter 1, 1 through 9, and you read each verse. When I'm telling you, you do this when you're down and when you're depressed and you feel like you're going to fail. You read 1 Peter 1 through 9, one at a time. You meditate on your salvation. You meditate on what He did for you. And I promise you, a little piece of that glory that you'll get one day, it'll find you in the present. That word translated into joy unspeakable, it's not found anywhere else in the Old Testament. And it describes a joy that cannot be explained with human words. If that isn't the glory of heaven, I don't know what is. And then number four, Peter leaves us with example of people who wish they had what me and you have. Verses 10 through 12. Of which, the, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesies the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which is in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Brother Brent, what is that saying? Let me tell you what it's saying. It's saying, Peter is saying, the Old Testament saints, they longed to know about their salvation, what me and you know about our salvation. You don't think they would have loved to have read 1 Peter 1? They would have loved it. They longed to know about their salvation, what we know about ours. Don't you think Daniel would have loved to have read John chapter 3? Don't you think the man that wrote Isaiah 53 would have loved to read of Jesus on the cross in John 19? Don't you think Abraham would have loved to have read Hebrews 11? See what happened to his kids, see what happened to his nephew Lot? Don't you think they would have loved that? They knew so, so much Yet so many things were hidden from them. They would have loved to open this Bible in the New Testament and read about the sufferings of Christ and meditated on the greatness of their salvation. They would have loved to do this, but we and you have access to this book and we don't. When's the last time you opened this book and thank God for your salvation? The Old Testament saints couldn't do that. They would have loved to have done what me and you can do and we don't do it. 
The Bible even says the angels wanted to preach these things. The angels wanted to preach about the glory of our salvation, but they weren't allowed to. If we have access in this book to the greatness of our salvation, even though we have trials, there is no reason why we can't have joy unspeakable. Let me leave you with this. From the ages of 9 to 13, I saw my dad every other weekend. My parents divorced when I was 9. Now, when I was 13, I got to choose. And my choice was to spend one week with my dad and one week with my mom. And that's what I did from 13 up. But from 9 to 13, I spent every other weekend with my dad. Man, I love going to my dad's house. Loved it. Man, he'd invite a buddy of mine over, Sean, and me and Sean would hang out while my dad was at work, and my dad would buy uh, uh, micro, uh, oven pizzas for us to eat. We eat pizza every Saturday. On Sunday, my dad would cook a roast, or he'd always try to cook a big meal on Sunday. And, man, uh, one time he tried to make red beans and rice, but he bought the soup mix, so we had red bean soup. But then we loved it so much, we had red bean soup every Sunday. Man, I love spending the weekend with my dad. Now, I was an average middle schooler. I had the same stuff that everybody else had. I had tests. I had to study. I had bullies. I had a couple of mean teachers. I didn't always look forward to school. But on days I knew my dad was going to pick me up. I didn't mind it so much. Because I knew daddy was coming to get me. That's what thinking about your salvation will do for you. It'll remind you that daddy's coming to get you. If we only had one reason to be joyful, and that reason was our salvation, then be reason enough.